If you brought your Bible this morning, please be turning to Matthew chapter 25. That's where we're going to be spending uh, the majority of our time this morning. And as you're finding Matthew chapter 25, I'd like to show you a picture behind me. And after you look at this picture, how many of you, by the show of hands, could tell me by just looking at this image everything that anyone would ever need to know about what happened there? Like, like how many of you know? Is the image up there? How many of you know what that image is of? And how many of you know the significance of that moment? How many of you are like, hand me the microphone, what do you want to know? <laughs> it's hard to believe this picture was taken 17 years ago and it captured the final moments of racing legend Dale Earnhardt when he passed away at the 2001 Daytona 500. I'll tell you, this moment, even though all these years later, it's still fresh on racing fans' minds. It's still kind of a shocking thing when, when you even think about it, uh, it was the final lap of the race, and it's estimated that Dale hit the wall going about 180 miles per hour, hit it at a really odd angle. And just looking at it, it didn't seem all that bad when I, saw the, when I saw it happen, but we know it was very bad. I was living in Indianapolis, Indiana on the day of this race, and if you know anything about Indianapolis, it's a huge racing community. And so it, there was a sadness that came over the city. You could feel it. It just, a darkness, if you will. It was just a tragedy, tragedy uh, right in front of our eyes. Now, as they investigated the accident and tried to discern exactly all that went wrong, it was suggested that uh, Dale Earnhardt probably would have survived the crash if he had taken advantage of a safety device that was available at the time. Now, most drivers didn't use it because they didn't like the way it restricted their movements, but it was available to them. It's called the Hans device, or what's short for head and neck safety device. And many have speculated that if Dale had just chosen to use this safety device, it probably would have saved his life. Don't know for sure, of course, but many believe that it probably would have. You know, the Bible tells us that we are on a collision course for Judgment Day. It tells us that all over the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that each and every one of us will meet our end at some point. And we are on this collision course for Judgment Day. We've looked at this passage of Scripture all throughout this series. We'll look at it again. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. What's it say? People are destined to die one time and then to face judgment. We will all stand before the Lord one day. There's not a thing we can do to get out of it. It's going to happen. But here is the great news, and I hope you know that this is great news today. God has provided each and every one of us a safety device to take advantage of. It's called the cross of Jesus. Amen. Jesus went to the cross for our sins. Three days later, he rose to life. And there's safety in that. There's safety in knowing that God loves us and that he did everything he could to provide a way that there is safety for those who believe. And we're going to talk about that today and as we've been talking about this whole series. But we have to choose it. Just like Dale could have chosen that safety device, we have to choose the cross. We have to choose faith and not neglect what God has offered we're in a series, as many of you know, called The Afterlife, and we are talking this morning specifically about Judgment Day. Now, I want to invite you to come back next week, because next week is all about heaven. We're going to talk about what heaven is going to be like, what we have to look forward to, what are we going to do in heaven, and all of these things. So I want to invite you to 
come back next week. But today, we're going to talk about what the Bible tells us about what to expect on Judgment Day and about our choices that we make today that play into how that day turns out. You know, for the past two weeks, we have been biblically examining all that it says about the afterlife. And there's a question that you're aware of now that's been hovering over this series. It's, what happens one minute after you die? Now, I hope that you've been kind of contemplating that throughout this series. It's a great question to ask. What happens one minute after you die? That's the question we have been trying to answer in this series. And if you've stayed with us since the beginning, then you know this. This is my heart. This is my deep down conviction. I see this all over the pages of the Bible. That if you follow Christ in this life, that you've got nothing to worry about one minute after you die. And I believe that with all my heart. It gives me confidence. In fact, one of Jesus' disciples, his name was John, He speaks about the confidence that we can have facing our end, facing this day of judgment. He said in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, he says, We will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. Who are we like? We are like Jesus. So if we are like Jesus in this world, then we face judgment day with great confidence. And I'm telling you, that gives me confidence a good sense of peace in my heart that I'll be able to stand there with great confidence. Now, confidence is an interesting word. It's an interesting concept. It seems like we're living in a day and age where there's less and less things to be confident about, or is that just me? Now, I don't know about you, but people are less confident today about a number of things, like less confident today that they'll be able to retire at age 65. Anybody wonder about that? Less confident that uh, they stand at the altar Before the minister to give their marriage vows, less confident that this will make it till death do us part in today's world. Less confident that our jobs are secure as they once were. Less confident that our government will make all the right decisions for the people. Well, let's be honest, we haven't really had confidence in that, but uh, anyway, I'm joking, I'm teasing. Less confident in authority figures in our society, less confidence in a lot of things. So when I come across some scripture that tells me that there is something that I can have great confidence in, well, that makes my ears perk up. That makes me pay attention. What is it that I can have great confidence in? The Bible says that as we approach Judgment Day, that we can have great confidence. Why? Because we've put our trust in Jesus Christ. We can face this moment without any fear. Now, last week... Um, I shared with you that there are a number of perspectives about what happens one minute after you die. I mean, there's some that believe you just go to sleep until the return of Christ. Others that we get right straight to heaven. You know, I shared with you last week that I'm personally comfortable with a conversation about how believers die and they go to paradise. You're going to be in the presence of God. And that's where you wait the second coming of Jesus. I'm comfortable with the interpretation that people that die outside of Christ go to Hades and there they await destruction. And I'm comfortable with that. All right. I think there's plenty of scripture that you could draw those conclusions. I also shared with you last week that I am really comfortable simply knowing that when I die, I am going to be with Jesus and it's going to be exactly how he determined it to be, no matter what that looks like or what I know or don't know today. And if I die as a follower of Jesus, I am good. I'm really comfortable knowing that. The Bible indicates this, that if you follow kind of the timeline and the progression of of, of how we move on into eternity, the Bible seems to indicate this timeline, that, uh, that the Lord is going to return. 
And then after he returns, there will be a final judgment. And then after the final judgment, on into eternity. That is kind of the flying at the 30,000 foot level and looking at the whole picture. That's a general timeline. Now, of course, I recognize that you can get real close to the ground, if you will, and examine all the details. And many of you have done that. And there's all kinds of of different kinds of thinking on different things. We're flying at the 30,000 foot level. We're talking about the general timeline of eternity, that the Lord will return and that is going to happen. And that he said, Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to come get you and you're going to go to be with me. We know that is still off in the future. We've read scriptures about what that day is going to be. There's going to be a trumpet call of God, the voice of the archangel. Jesus is going to come with all those that have died before and all the angels and will be caught up in the clouds with him and it's going to be an incredible day. That's going to happen. Then, judgment. The Bible speaks there's going to be a final judgment that is going to follow. And so what I'd like for us to do is Jesus spoke about this final judgment in Matthew 25. I'd like to look at what Jesus said about it because I have a lot of confidence in what Jesus said about it. And I hope you do too. So Matthew chapter 25, open up to verse 31. We're going to start our reading there. Jesus, the context of this, this is just before Jesus' death. He is spending time with his disciples. It's during his last week of life, and he is preparing his disciples for his departure. So much stuff Jesus talked about these last few days of his life, but he pulls his disciples together, and he says, this is what it's going to be like at the end of time, and I need you guys to be ready and aware This is what Jesus tells his disciples. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, Jesus is talking about the end of days, the return of Christ. When I'm coming back, okay? When he comes back, he he will sit on his glorious throne. So Jesus is establishing God will be God. He will be the king and he will sit on his throne and he will be ruler over all. And all the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, I did not grow up on a farm. I did not grow up around farm animals. Some of you have, and, and, but I'll tell you, whether you did or didn't, um, I, I mean, I can tell you, I've been to a petting zoo like twice, and that's about as close as I've gotten to these critters, okay? But I can visualize what Jesus is saying. I can visualize this idea of of a herd of sheep and goats and a shepherd with his staff, you know, going right to left. You over there, you get over there, you get over there, get over you, you over there. No, come here, you little guy, come over there, boom, boom. I get this impression that there's, uh, I can see it. Can you see it? Can you see the shepherd separating these two kinds of animals? Jesus is making this correlation. He's saying, at the end, when, when, when I come back and God is on his throne, it's going to be kind of like that. There is going to be a great separation. God is going to separate the people at this final judgment. And it will be similar to how a shepherd goes through a flock of sheep and goats and separates the two. There is going to be a great divide. That's what Jesus is saying. Here's what he says next. Verse 34, then the king, remember, on the throne, all the people, the great divide has happened. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. In other words, God's going to say, all of you to my right, the righteous, 
Everything that I had prepared, everything that you have believed, it's ready to go. Come on in. For I was hungry, he said, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And we learn from what Jesus is telling his disciples that the decision of God to move people on into eternity, that, 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 that movement of people that was based on decisions that these people had made while they were still alive. That what was happening on that day was a result of choices made while these people were still among the living. And he said that your actions meant something. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was clothed, you clothed me. I was, I was needing somebody to come visit. You came to visit me. There's a correlation between what they had done and their final destination. And then the righteous will say, verse 37, Lord, when did we see any of this? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. And it seems like just taking Jesus at face value here, his words alone, it seems like there is a real link between the motivation behind what we do and who we do it for and what transpires on Judgment Day. Jesus seems to be drawing this connection. Your motivations, the things that you did, the way that you, you behaved and all of those things, there is a link to what will transpire on this incredible day of judgment. We're going to explore this link a little bit more thoroughly by the end of this message, but he's drawing a connection there. Whatever you did for one of the least of these, it was like you were doing it right to me. You got a cup of cold water for somebody in my name, it's like you got it for me, and that's what I'm noticing. And then the tables are about to turn. Look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And I read that, and that's hard words to read. Wouldn't you agree? They're reflective words. They make us think about some things, but it would appear from what Jesus is saying is that the righteous on the day of judgment, now think about when the great separation happens and God is sitting on his throne and all the nations, that the righteous will have something to show for their faith. They're going to show, there's going to be some things that look what they did and the unrighteous will have absolutely nothing to show, nothing to reflect that their life was in any way shaped by obedience to the Lord. And then verse 46 is tragic and glorious all at the same time. They, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I'll tell you, we read that and you cannot help but notice the criteria 
for judgment was based on the motivations and the actions of what a person has done while they were still alive. The sheep and the goats were recognized by what they had done or had not done for Jesus while they were alive. And it makes me wonder some very significant things. And they're probably making you wonder exactly the same things. But on Judgment Day, what parts of our lives are going to be judged? Have you wondered that? What exactly is going to get unpacked before the nations? From my study, it seems like Every aspect of our lives is open for that unpacking, but especially our actions, the things we've done while we're alive. Now, the Bible puts a lot of emphasis on the fact that we're going to be judged based on things done while we're alive. And I want to show you just a few verses in scriptures. We're just still kind of digging into this and unpacking it. I think things will become even more clear as we get towards the end. But I want to take you to something that James said in the New Testament. James chapter 2, verse 26. It's very telling. And if you've been around church for very long, this is probably not an unfamiliar verse of the Bible. James says this, as the body without the spirit is dead. In other words, he's drawing a connection. Our body and our spirit coexist. But when the body dies, the spirit goes on. The body cannot live without the spirit. So as the body dies, it cannot live without the spirit. He makes this connection. So... Your faith without deeds is dead. That, that if you believe in Christ and, and your heart surrendered to Him, there is an outpouring of behavior that follows that. There is actions that come from that. Our faith in Christ, and I hope that there would be great agreement in this room, that our faith in Jesus Christ today should compel us to serve Him and to do His will and to make decisions in this life that honor Him. And when your heart is surrendered to Christ, your actions will reflect it. Your actions is one of the biggest indicators of a heart that truly is surrendered to your heavenly Father. So when we stand there on judgment day, what will be judged on? I think there's going to be something on display about our lives that points to the fact that we actually believe what we said we were going to believe. That our lives, that God can say, look at these lives. Look at what they did for me. Just look. We're going to keep unpacking this. We're just pulling back some layers. Consider the following verses with me this morning. Matthew chapter 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. One more. 1 Peter 1.17 says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, something I want to do, be real careful of, I, I don't want to turn this message today into some theological debate about is there going to be different levels or different kinds of rewards in heaven. This is just a whole other line of thinking that we're not going to explore. But all I want to do here is I want to take Jesus' words and I want to take the clear words of the Bible and just point out that they do seem to indicate that when we stand before God on Judgment Day, God is going to be very much concerned and aware of how we chose to live out our lives while we were alive. 
And so I want to ask this question because it begs us to ask this question. It's an introspective question that only you can answer for yourself. And the question is this. So how are you doing with your time here on earth? I mean, you can't read the words of Jesus and not ask yourself that question. How am I doing with my time here on earth? What do I find myself thinking about the most? What do I find myself dreaming about? What do I find myself striving for? What do I find myself doing with my hands every day? Where do I spend my time? How do I spend my time? What are the things that come out of my mouth? Where do my thoughts go? And on and on. How are you doing with your time now? It raises an interesting question. And maybe this is a question that you're thinking of. And, and, and the question might go like this. Okay, I understand that I am saved by my faith in Jesus Christ. And if I'm, I'm saved by my faith in Jesus Christ, why does it appear then that on judgment day, I'm going to be judged on what I have done? Are you wondering that question? There is no conflict here. The Bible, all over the pages of the Bible, is very clear. We are absolutely saved by what the Lord has done for us, not by anything that we can do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, two, uh, chapter two, verse 8 through 9 is probably one of the clearest verses in the Bible. It just says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is absolutely clear that the saving power the saving of our souls, that power comes from God alone and not from us. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We don't have resurrection power. We don't have God's, you know, it's God who does that for us. However, what is also clear in the Bible is that simply verbally acknowledging Jesus as Lord but not living your life for him, that ain't going to cut it either. I'm reminded every time of this when I see 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 through 18. If anyone has material possessions, John says, and sees his brother or sister in need, has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. So absolutely, we are saved by God's grace. We put our faith in him, and we are guaranteed salvation. But I'm telling you, there is an outpouring of action that comes from our salvation. And that is for love for other people and a desire to see more people come to know Christ and massive compassion in our hearts. It's like the question John asked. Well, you know, how can the love of God be in that person if there's no compassion in their hearts towards hurting people? It's both and. Of course, we're saved. But our actions speak to our salvation. So here's what I believe as we're coming to Judgment Day. We will be judged on that day when the great divide happens and all of our actions are laid bare on this day of judgment. What's going to be exposed from us is the evidence of true faith. That's what I believe this day is going to represent. That there's going to be an exposure of all the people who are saved. And everybody's going to look and say, yep, that was the real deal, and that is why they are going into eternity. When we stand before God and He begins to expose these things, it will be clear to everyone present, the magnitudes of people, that we belong to God. There are no mistakes here. We get to go, and God gets the glory for it.
That's what judgment day is going to be like. That's why we can go with great confidence. It's not anything to be feared. It's great confidence. This is going to be more about God's glory than what we have done. Which brings me to another important question. What is the purpose of judgment day then? If God already knows everything about us, and, and, you know, and he already knows who's going to heaven and who isn't, what is the point then of publicly displaying these works of righteousness? What is the point of all of this? Why do we need a judgment day if our sins have already been forgiven? Let me be very clear about something. As I understand Scripture, the purpose of judgment day is not for God to determine who's in and who's out. That has nothing to do with judgment day. God already knows everything about you. He does not need a public forum to help him decide if he's going to let you into heaven or not. As I discussed last week, when you die, your eternal destiny is already set. If you die in Christ, you know you're going to heaven. If you die outside of Christ, there is no hope for heaven for you. Judgment day is not about who gets in, who doesn't. That's not what it's about. So what is the purpose of Judgment Day? Well, there's three, as I can tell from Scripture. The first one is this. This is going to be the first formal separation of the masses of people. All of God's creation together in one place. And it's the first time there's going to be a formal, visual separation between the righteous and the unrighteous. Secondly, this is the first public proclamation of each individual. The king will say to those on his right, come on in. The king will say to those on his left, I'm sorry, you're out. But finally, here's what I think at the heart of judgment day, it comes down to this. It is public vindication. Having all the details of one's life exposed and on public display will vindicate God's decision regarding each person's eternal destiny. Do you understand what this moment will be like? It will be like God said, I tried to tell you all, and these are the ones. Look at their lives. They're the ones that are going to come in. They're the ones that believed me. This is, if you will, if you'll follow this logic, this is God's mic drop moment in front of all of his creation. You had your chance and you all had, but these are the ones. Look at how they served me. Look at their righteousness. Look, they fed me. They, they clothed me. They looked after me. They did all of these things in my name and they are going to come in and there's not gonna be one person on judgment day that can argue the fact that God was fair and righteous in his vindication. I love what Jack Cottrell says about judgment day. Jack Cottrell has written a lot He's one of the greatest biblical minds I'm aware of. He says this about Judgment Day. God will be glorified in his justice because it will be made clear that those who are lost are getting what they deserve. And he will be glorified in his grace because it will be made clear that those who are saved are getting the opposite of what they deserve. Judgment Day is going to be all about the masses proclaiming the victory belongs to God. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. This is about what's going on in God's kingdom and God's glory. We get to be a part of it. Our lives on display exposes God's goodness and his glory. Our sins are forgiven. God already knows we're going to heaven. This is about glorifying him 
And we get to be a part of this victory celebration. So John says, you can come to Judgment Day with great confidence. And if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, and your faith compels you to live righteously for God, and your actions, the way you behave in this life, is a reflection of a transformation that has taken place in your heart, then judgment day for you will be a day when you join all the other righteous in proclaiming how great is our God. That he has the victory, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So here when we talk about telling our friends about Jesus and loving our neighbors as ourselves, it rings through through all eternity, these things that we want to take as many people with us so they too can sing the praises of God's glory and point to him and his vindication in this great day of celebration. I I hope I've done an all right job helping you see that it's not to be feared, it's to be looked forward to. You know, in A.D. 79, there was a, a tremendous volcanic eruption that many of us studied about as we were coming up through school. It's when uh, the Roman city of Pompeii was completely destroyed by Mount Vesuvius. Do you remember this from your, from your studies in, in school? It's an amazing event that they keep learning more and more about, but uh, this volcano went off and it was so destructive that the residents of Pompeii literally had seconds to prepare, which wasn't enough time. And so people were going about their daily lives. They were in the marketplace. They were out playing with their animals and all of these just normal daily things. And in an instant, their lives were snuffed out and they were killed. Well, all these years later, they have excavated the city of Pompeii. And as they were excavating it under all of the ash and everything else, they discovered that they were coming across these air pockets in the ash. And they quickly learned that these air pockets were in the form of bodies. And what had happened is their bodies got covered over with ash, this hot ash, so fast that they were killed, and then their bodies decomposed, which left a cavity in the ash. And so archaeologists filled up these cavities and they made casts so they could see what it looked like. Have you seen these pictures before? This is what they found. People going about their daily lives, killed instantly, and here frozen in time, their final moments. This one on the end is the one that gives me the creeps. I mean, this guy didn't even know what hit him, did he? And what great detail this was preserved. You know, the saddest part about the destruction of Pompeii is that none of these people had to die. Scientists confirm what many of the ancient Roman writers wrote about it, that there was weeks of rumblings. There was shakings that preceded the eruption of this volcano. There was, in the days before the eruption, people had written about there was this ominous plume of smoke that was coming out of the mountain. There was clearly signs that something was about to happen, that destruction was coming their way. If only they had been able to read the warning signs and respond to Mount Vesuvius, they could have all been saved and been spared this. Friends, I want you to know that today there are similar rumblings in our world. 
Spiritually, there are rumblings that we need to pay attention to. Pay attention to that judgment day is coming. Things like murder and hatred and sexual immorality and greed and bitterness and envy and jealousy. The list could go on and on and on. All of these things today that we are living amongst is evidence that we are on a collision course with Judgment Day, every single last one of us. But we do not need to be caught unprepared, do we? Because we can see these signs. And God warns us to escape the destruction that is coming. And God has given us a way out. And I want to tell you today, as someone who feels called to proclaim the truth of God's word, that our way out of the destruction that is coming is through faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there is something that we can believe, and it's this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. There is a message there that we get to decide, do we believe it or do we reject it? We can see what's coming. Do you believe it or reject it? Those who believe this message of God's love and his salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, those that believe, repent of their sins. And those who repent of their sins say, God, I am sorry. I know my sin has created a distance between me and you. I want to be in a right relationship with you. I am so sorry for what I've done. Please forgive me. And I believe that somebody who comes to God in faith and believes that message of Christ's hope through, and salvation, who repents of their sins, gets repentance and salvation happens instantly. God's grace pours out on them. So what that means, if any of you here today saying, I do believe this, and God, I am sorry for my sins. Everything you've ever done gets erased, and God welcomes you into his family. People who have repented of their sins, they rise up and they say, Lord, I'm going to follow you the rest of my life. I am going to make you my leader. The Bible says everybody that did that, they unite with Christ in what we call baptism where we dunk somebody in the water and raise them up out of the water, and it symbolically represents that uh, we have united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. That's why people go underwater and come out. It's significant. It signifies our identity with Christ in his death. You know what this thing we now believe in faith? And we come up out of the water, signifies our resurrection with the Lord in that final moment when we will be raised with him at the end and it's a commitment to live for the rest of our lives for him. So what does the Bible say? Believe and repent of your sins. Confess Christ as Lord. Be baptized and live the rest of your life for him. Does that mean you're going to live perfectly? No, absolutely not. I tell people I've done more sinning after I was baptized than before. But God's grace covers me. That I'm still a part of God's family. And when I mess up, I can ask God to forgive me and his grace is still there. And I wonder, <clears throat> how are you doing with your time here on earth? And do you believe? And have you repented of your sins? And have you made Jesus your leader? And have you been baptized? And are you living every single day of your life with great confidence? Knowing that on the day of judgment, God will say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Can I pray for us?